crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Nuktagal. I am coming to you today from Jerusalem, Israel, as per usual. Thank you very much for listening in. Thank you to Christopher Reams for the interview for last week's program on the book of Genesis and how it relates to modern science. It is a really fascinating study. He's got an article up now on Watch Jerusalem about that topic. So please do check in to watchjerusalem.co.il to find out more about that. And you can listen to the program as well from last week. I also just want to mention that our latest issue of the Watch Jerusalem magazine went to press on Thursday. And so if you are a subscriber of that magazine, then you should be receiving your copy uh, within the next week or so, maybe two weeks, uh, if you are here in Israel. As I think it goes, uh, it's uh, going to be sent out very soon. What I'd like to talk about with you today is Iran. I talk about Iran often, but Iran is in the news a lot right now because for the first time uh, since the Arab uh, Spring back in 2011, uh, or even before then, you've got, you've got nations where Iran is the dominant player that is coming under threat. Uh, we're talking about Lebanon, we're talking about Iraq, and also, as it seems today, Iran itself there are mass protest movements in these countries where Iran is the dominant factor. And if you've listened to this program for any length of time, you know that we prophesy about the rise of Iran as uh, what's written in the Bible in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40, the king of the south, the king of the south. And I have an article coming out in the next Watch Jerusalem print edition about Iran fulfilling this prophecy as the king of the south. And you can go through that and prove it for yourself and see if uh, see if it lines up with the facts on the ground. And uh, I think uh, we present a very compelling case for that. That'll, of course, be available online as well. And we talk about how in that article and in general, we talk often about Iran and how it leads radical Islam and how it is on the march across the Middle East and how it is going to be taking over different nations, allying with different nations to present itself powerful enough to push at a resurgent Europe. And yet what we see in the news right now is the centers of Iranian control under threat. I'd like to talk about that today with you. First of all, I'd just like to talk about what's happening in Iran proper. Uh, today, there was, or today and yesterday, there was the decision by the the government of Iran to incur a tax hike of fifty percent on on gas or gasoline products over there. I think this is after you have your ration, you're going to buy more. Well, that's going to be taxed by extra. And this was something that the Ayatollah himself had to come out and defend because people were protesting all through Iran in major centers of Iran, social media uh, somehow is, uh, is, is putting out the, these videos of these protests of, of massive roadways, roads, um, roadways being shut down, uh, other uh, tires on fire. Uh, there was one man that was killed in these protests as well today. Uh, by the regime, to ch- who are, are very adept at putting down protests, as we'll talk about later. 
And the Ayatollah basically came out and said, no, well, this price hike was was necessary and it was agreed upon by a bunch of experts. And so we are going to keep it. This is what else he said. Some people are no doubt worried by this decision, but sabotage and arson is done by hooligans, not our people. The counter-revolution and Iran's enemies have always supported sabotage and breaches of security and continue to do so. And then he basically said that uh, his people, uh, this was actually yesterday and today, uh, his people, meaning the IRGC, those that are adept at putting down uh, such protests, were going to go out to the streets and put them down put them down forcibly. There's also a blackout on the internet right now in Iran to prevent uh, social media from allowing these people to mobilize, to get together in the same location. And so there's probably not going to be much reporting coming out of Iran of that. Uh, But if you do have a social media feed that has people, uh, Iran watches on that uh, you probably will see some footage of that. So that's taking place in Iran right now. Protests, and this is something that the Iranian regime, though they're good at putting them down, are worried about. They are concerned about protests, internal movements in Iran and elsewhere where it holds power, at um, taking down the regimes. And what we're going to talk about today now, it's just going to be a brief program because this is going live here on radio in, in just under the, just under an hour. Um, we're going to be talking about Lebanon and Iraq and the mass protests that have been going on in those two countries for over a month now that don't look to be getting better or don't look to be toning down and how you have a lot of anti-Iran forecasters that are praising these protests and understandably so, but there is a sense of optimism across these think tanks in the United States and elsewhere in Israel, that these protests, once they run their course, they might see Iran on the outside looking in. But Bible prophecy indicates that in one of these nations, Iraq or Lebanon, I'm going to hold some suspense for you, one of these nations is not going to shake off Iranian control, and the other nation is going to shake off Iranian control. And it seems plausible to me that these current protest movements are going to make this very definitive. We are going to see, it seems, Iran lose power at the end of this protest movement in one country and at the end of this protest movement in another country, Iran consolidate its power to a greater degree. Let's start with Lebanon. Let's start with Lebanon. Now, protests officially began in Lebanon October 17th, but they really could have started any time in the past few years. Since 2015, Lebanese have grown accustomed to water shortages, daily power cuts, sewage crises. I even saw a video today of since there's been no maintenance on the sewage uh, pipes, we've got sewage running directly into the Mediterranean uh, in Beirut right now today. They've also had to deal with mounting the mounting trash crisis as well, trash in the streets. And all these are signs of the government being unable to effectively serve its people. And it's gone back, as I said, for years in Lebanon. Now, there was a decision that was made in mid-October last month to impose new taxes on the use of online calling programs. WhatsApp, or WhatsApp, sorry, Telegram. And this really tipped the already boiling population over the edge. Now, if you live in the Middle East, you understand that we use WhatsApp all the time. 
all the time, more than we'd use texting. It is something that we use a lot. No doubt the same thing applies in Lebanon. And you don't mess with that. And that was the last straw. Of course, though, these protests are much bigger than that, as I'll get to as well. Back on October 17th, there were just small demonstrations in Beirut and other cities. But what has happened since has been the escalation into these largest protests that we've seen in Lebanon in decades. Universities, schools are closed, banks are shuttered to stop people from withdrawing money. Because right now, Lebanon is in financial dire straits, the third most indebted nation per capita on the planet. And it's, it's, it's indebted to the tune of, of $75 billion. That's their public debt, $75 billion. And so they owe a lot of money, and foreign capital keeps on fleeing the nation. So they can't get money in. They can't have imports sent in because there's no money to buy the imports. And the government and social services, banks, schools, everything has been at a standstill for a month. And so these these protesters and these protests themselves get bigger and bigger. Millions of Lebanese are coming out. Uh, not all at the same time. Obviously, they've only got about a, a four or five million people in that country. But they, we did see on one day about a million people throughout Lebanon protesting. Imagine that, a quarter of the nation's population coming to the streets. And what are they demanding? Kilon Yani Kilon. I probably butchered that. But it means all of them means all of them. This is the mantra of the masses. They want the resignation of the entire government of Lebanon. And they don't want to see the same political faces in the next government. Basically, since 1990, since the end of the civil war inside Lebanon, you've had uh, Lebanon been set up as a sectarian democracy, if I can put it that way. Because of Lebanon's ethnic diversity or religious diversity, at that time you had former warlords, generals, tribal leaders. They claimed leadership over the Sunnis, the Shiites, the Christian, the Druze sects, and they became the political leaders representing the various factions inside Lebanon. And over the decades, these same people and these same families have stayed in power, becoming like a mafia, enriching themselves, caring more about the preservation of their power instead of caring for all Lebanese. At least that's what it is in the eyes of the protesters. Now, these revolutionaries, and that's what they are. You should see what they're saying. It's been relatively peaceful, which is amazing. And it's been uh, pretty much uh, a homogenistic uh, uh, type of revolution or protest, meaning that all of these sects are involved. It's homogenous for Lebanese to be out there. The Lebanese are out there protesting, all of them. Shiites, Sunnis, Christians, Jews, they're all done with the leaders that they've had and they want a bunch of technocrats, these experts that don't have sectarian affiliation to come and rule Lebanon. Now, understandably, the political class doesn't want this. (laughs) They've been in power for so long and they are being able to be enriched through that power, of course, and they don't want it to go. You have had the Prime Minister Saad Hariri resign, uh, which is probably a really wise move, and he backs a technocratic government that would come into power, probably thinking it's quite smart that he might be able to be back in power if he's the one <laughs> soon, uh, if, if he backs away quickly. Now, you do have the president, Christian president, Michael Allen, 
Uh, he doesn't want to see the political system over, overturned. And in an interview on November 12th, this is earlier this week on Tuesday, uh, he said this to those people that are demonstrating. If those demonstrating see no people in this nation, then let them uh, emigrate. Basically, if you don't see any qualified people in the state, if you don't see any qualified people in the nation to rule, to, meaning those that are already the rulers amongst us, then you need to get out of here. If you don't like it, leave. That's what he told them. Halana Sredin, she was one of the thousands that marched on the president's palace after those remarks. And this is what she said. She said his words were very offensive. It was an insult. It just fueled everyone. It made everyone angry. If anyone should leave this country, it should be him and his cronies. That's what she said. One of these protesters didn't like it. They've been protesting for, at that point, almost a month. And the president comes out and says... Uh, I don't mind if it's, I don't care if it's the largest protest that we've ever seen in Lebanon. If you don't like it, you can leave. Didn't really uh, assuage the crowd at all. Now, he wants to preserve his own position in power, but he's also allied with Hezbollah. Back in 2016, he decided to ally with Hezbollah. He is a Christian leader, but there he is in power. And maintaining that power because his pressure put because of his support from Hezbollah. And Hezbollah doesn't want the status quo to change either. Hezbollah, of course, is the Iranian element inside the Lebanese government. Hezbollah doesn't want the current government to change. Hezbollah has worked for decades to install itself in the position that it now holds inside the Lebanese government. And so when the people take to the streets, all stripes of Lebanese, all different sects, and say, we want it all gone, that includes Hezbollah as well. In terms of the, leader, in terms of the political faction of Hezbollah, they don't want to boot all the Hezbollah-supported Shiites. They see them as part of the official state of Lebanon. Nevertheless, Hezbollah isn't willing to back off. Now, a bit of history of Hezbollah this was the only militia that came out of the civil war that was allowed to uh, maintain its arms. According to the thinking at the time, it was important um, for Hezbollah to have its arms to protect the nation from an invading Israeli state as they would see it. And in the years since 1990, Hezbollah has indeed fought on the front lines against Israel, calling itself the resistance. But it's also entered the political arena. And the latest elections in 2018 saw Hezbollah gain 13 seats, three cabinet posts, and this allowed it to become the de facto leader of the nation. And now that Hezbollah virtually controls Lebanon, it's not willing to see its years of hard work nullified at the hands of these protesters. However, the, the corresponding with that, the longer this government that has Hezbollah in it refuses to hand over power to the people, the more Hezbollah is being exposed as the main factor against the people. The Hezbollah leader in uh, uh, Lebanon, Hassan Nasrallah, again, he answers directly to Quds Force leader Qasem Soleimani, who is, is meant to be behind the scenes right now, kind of coaching Nasrallah through this of what he should do and how he should act. 
because the response of what's going on in, in Lebanon is very different to what's going on in Iraq. As I think I said, or if I hadn't, there's only been, I think, three or four people that have been killed in these huge protests in Lebanon. And yet in Iraq, there's been over 300 that have been killed in similar style protests. What's going on? Well, this is what Nasrallah said back on October 24th. He said, in, the view, in view of the difficult financial, economic, and living situation in the country, in view of the tensions that are prevailing in the region, a vacuum will lead to chaos, to collapse. I'm afraid that there are those who want to take our country and generate social security and political tensions and to take it to civil war. That's what Nasrallah said. He said, one, it's not the time for the government to dissolve. A vacuum would be bad. And then he said, two, this might go to civil war. Now, the mention of a civil war in Lebanon over these protests was noted by a lot of people as just fear-mongering. But I think it was also likely to intend, uh, or likely intended to notify the population that Hezbollah, is not going to go quietly into the night. There is no way that Hezbollah, the Iranian-backed Hezbollah, is going to accept a technocratic government that doesn't have itself in it. They're not going to do it. They won't do it. Iran won't let them do it. Now, in response to his speech, the generally peaceful protests were marred then by reports of violence. Hezbollah and Anon, Anon supporters, they beat protesters, they burnt down uh, protesters' city tent, uh, tent city in Beirut. They dressed up in black shirts and they went around shouting, we heed your call, Nasrallah, as in that we're going to put a stop to this. To the point that you've got footage of, of pro-Hezbollah Lebanese border uh, police, uh, uh, riot police, and then the protesters on either side. Little glimpses here of a potential civil war that could erupt uh, eventually. Now, Nasrallah, seeing what this and seeing how he didn't have public support and seeing probably that there was lots of Shiites that were becoming more vocally against Hezbollah, he decided to call off his dogs and allow the people to protest. And the next speech that he gave... He, was, he didn't really talk about the protests. He talked about how good Hezbollah is and shooting down an Israeli drone or something like that. And so we might be in this little moment of time in these Lebanese protests where Hezbollah does not know what to do. They just might try and wait it out and see what happens. This is what Hanin Gadar wrote for the Washington Institute for Near Eastern Policy. She's a, a great Lebanese expert that I follow. She said this, quote, For the first time since Hezbollah was formed in the late 1980s, Lebanese Shiites are turning against it. In Nabatea, the group's heartland in the south of Lebanon, Shiite protesters even burn the offices of Hezbollah's leaders. That's what's going on. Now again, the Lebanese protests are not, they're not directed and aroused uh, against Hezbollah. They're not anti-Hezbollah protests. They're against the whole government. All of it. They want it all gone. However, as long as these protests goes on, go on and the government refuses to dissolve 
it's going to become more and more obvious to Lebanon that Hezbollah is not letting it happen. They are the ones that are preventing the government from dissolving. And if they're not letting it dissolve, it means that Iran doesn't want to let it dissolve. Everyone in Lebanon knows that Iran leads Hezbollah. And so what you've got here, what you've got is a foreign nation becoming in control of another sovereign nation. Now, we've talked about this. We've talked about this for years, that Iran was was gaining that power inside Lebanon. But until the, the situation for the everyday Lebanese deteriorated to the point that it is because of government inaction and just inefficiency and making a mess of Lebanon, until this happened, it didn't seem like the people cared that much that Iran was so heavily involved in the nation. But now you've got the people rising up. What's going to happen in Lebanon? Will they be successful? Will they cast off Iranian hegemony over their nation? We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be talking about what's happening in Iraq. This is Watch Jerusalem, where history and prophecy come alive. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. We're talking about the current protests in Iran, Iraq, and Lebanon, and where they're going to go in terms of Iran's power over those nations. Again, these are these are nations that Iran does hold the major reins of power. And we just discussed Lebanon. Now we want to get to Iraq. Now, these protests began before the Lebanese protests. They began back on October 1st, and they were largely in response to the firing of a general that was very successful in, Le- in uh, Iraq, fighting against the Islamic State. Now, he was a Shiite leader, but he was considered to be largely not sectarian, meaning that he was happy to fight alongside Sunnis, uh, the, the Kurds, happy to fight, along- fight alongside the Shiites. And he was taken away from his post by Prime Minister Abda- Ab- Adel Abdel Mahdi, um, and he was the deputy commander of the counterterrorism service. Now, people took to the streets for that because they saw it as an Iranian intrusion into the domestic policy of Iraq. Now, we forget sometimes about how much Iraq longs to be separate from Iran. It does not want to be beholden completely by Iran, but the fact of the matter is that you do have massive Iranian entrenchment in the nation, especially in the aftermath of the, of the defeat of, of the Islamic State. The Islamic State terrorist group that was raging Iraq from 2014-15, and then I think they were finally beaten back at the end of 2016 and pushed back to Syria. Now, the, the, the whole reason that they were successful, one of the reasons that they were successful at beating back the Islamic State was because of the use of American air power and the use of Shiite militias that were called up alongside the official Iraqi army to fight against the Islamic State. And lots of those Shiite militias, to the tune of about 100,000 troops, answer to Iran. Iran, not Iraq. 
And in the aftermath of that, a lot of these groups then formed political parties and they became, uh, in the last election, great holders of power inside the government in Baghdad. And so you have Iranian elements right now in the army because lots of the PMF, the Popular Mobilization Forces, which is just another name for the conglomeration of these Shiite militias, became part of the official Iraqi military. And then you also have these Iranian, uh, these people that answer to Iran inside the government as well. And so these protests, while again, initially it was, it was, it was fired up by, uh, as an anti-Iran protest, or at least an anti, uh, well, seeing that Iran did dictate terms to the prime minister to fire this individual for no apparent reason, it did start that way. Gradually, like Lebanon, it, it, it was economic and social issues. The lack of access of affordable housing for young people. But as time went on, and the nation of Iraq were protesting further because they wanted to see their own government dissolved as well, they wanted to see the prime minister gone, they recognized that the prime minister was stuck. The prime minister was stuck because Iran wanted him to stay there. And the other Iranian-backed uh, groups inside the parliament wanted him to stay there. This, of course, was a prime minister that was brought into power through the, uh, into, well, the advocacy and in, in the, the help of Qasem Soleimani. Again, the same figure. The same figure directing things in Lebanon with Hezbollah is the same figure that's flying over to Iraq weekly, to address the situation there, he's the one that set up Mahdi as the Prime Minister. And so, because the Prime Minister won't step down, because Iran won't let him, you have the people now chanting in Iraq, Iran, get out. Get out from Iraq. That's why they're burning outside different uh, Iranian consulates, trying to burn down Iranian consulates inside Iraq. Now, since these protests began back in October, October 1st, there have been thousands, hundreds of thousands of Iraqis that are coming out to protest. Now, what's different with the protests in Lebanon is that the Iranians have seen to it that there have been deaths. There have been plenty of deaths, over 300 now. There was a car bomb, actually, that took that, I think it was on Friday, in the middle of, I believe it was actually downtown Baghdad, that a car bomb went off and killed three or four people. But you've had sniper shots, people being killed in the, by headshots, by snipers that aren't Iraqi, part of the Iraqi government, apparently. That's according to some. And so you have the situation that's different here. You also have these canisters that are meant to disperse crowds. I guess they release the... The gas that's dis meant to dis uh, disperse the protesters, they are being aimed directly at protesters' heads. And many of them, uh, many of people being struck by them, have been killed also. This is uh, what Patrick Coburn wrote for The Independent. I don't normally uh, <laughs> read The Independent because of its left-wing bias. Uh, but in this case, he's 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 got some. There's got some good writing here. It's entitled "Iraq Protests: How Iran-Backed Paramilitaries Are Taking Over." This is what he said. 
Over the last month and a half, however, there has been repeated use of sniper firing at random into the demonstrations or targeting local uh, protest leaders. The people doing the killing are parts of the government's highly fragmented security services and, uh, it says here, and factions of the paramilitary PMF, known to be allied with Iran. It is the Iranian leadership, and more especially Qasem Soleimani, the commander of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, uh, sorry, Islamic Revolutionary Guard's Quds Force, and Supremo of Iranian regional policy, who is orchestrating the campaign to smash the protests by sustained use of violence. Now, this isn't a mystery. This isn't a mystery. He's been in Baghdad, as I said, often on October 31st. This is what he said when he was over there to tell Marty that you'd better not step down. You're the prime minister we want. He said, quote, we in Iran know how to deal with protests. This is happening in Iran and we got it under control. That's what he said back then. Telling the Iraqi government, you better get it in, in, it gets it in control. And you kind of had what's going on here is these people that are infiltrating these protests and killing people. They aren't dressed up in their military fatigues. It's very hard for us to know who exactly they are. The weapons that are using do not originate in Iraq. The canisters do not the the uh, the canisters that are killing people as well do not originate in Iraq. There's been reports from Kurdistan that they came from Iran. Obviously, that would be a little bit biased as well, though. So it's hard to tell. But you have people dying, plenty of people dying, and you have Soleimani on the streets over there. And connecting the dots, it's obviously that that Iran does not want these protests to be successful, but they feel more comfortable using a heavy hand in the case of Iraq to put down the protests. They see their position of power in the government to be stronger. They see that the the Iraqi protests need to be put down by, by violence. They cannot afford to lose out with their gains in Iraq. I've had an article about this in the past, uh, talking about the Iranian, the Islamic Revolution back in 1979, talking about how the goal of that, of course, was to get to Jerusalem. That's what they said it was back in uh, 1979, I think I said. The goal in the end is to get to Jerusalem. That's why you have the creation of the Quds Force, Quds being Jerusalem. But they said the road to Quds goes through Karbala which is in Iraq. The road there goes through Iraq, and so they've been fighting for 40 years to take over Iraq. The Iran-Iraq war, the aftermath of the Iran-Iraq war, then the aftermath of the United States presence there and trying to get rid of the United States, which they successfully did, then the rise of the Islamic State and the uh, following uh, strengthening of the Iranian position through the Shiite militias. Now they're a powerful force inside the government. This, they feel like they've successfully taken over Iraq, and now you have this mass protest movement that is trying to boot Iraq from, uh, Iran from the country. And Iraq isn't letting it happen. I think it was a week and a half ago now, I went to Tel Aviv to hear from experts at the International, uh, the Institute for National Security, something like that, the INNS. And one of the ladies I was talking to there she talked about how she feared that the Iranians would actually invade Iraq to present, prevent this 
prevent the Iraqi protest from being successful. And that's what that's what Soleimani told them, basically. We know how to deal with this. You deal with it, or we will. Why? Why the difference? Why is Iran being willing to be so much more violent with what's going on with Iraq compared to what's going with, on with Lebanon? Hezbollah hasn't been unleashed on the public yet. But the Iranian-backed forces in Iraq have been unleashed. Why? This is what was written in Haaretz by Sfi Barel, November 4th, titled, Iranian troops are on a deadly collision course with Iraq's protesters as Tehran tightens, it grip, tightens its grip. That's what he says here. This is his third paragraph. It says, In fact, the most dangerous eruption could happen in Iraq which is controlled by a Shiite majority and headed by a pro-Iranian coalition, if it isn't stopped quickly, it could undermine Iran's most important base of control in the Middle East. This is what's important to understand. Iraq is Iran's most important base of control, or allows it to have its most important base of control because of these reasons that it gives. Obviously, it's talking about this whole region, including Iran as well. It says this, this, is this is because, as opposed to Lebanon, which is of not great strategic importance, Iraq, whose trade with Iran reaches about $12 billion a year, is essential for Iran to evade American sanctions and is a bastion of territorial and political control to stop Saudi hegemonic designs and establishes Iran's status as a regional power. It's needed. It's needed for Iran to be a regional power, control of Iraq. That's why they said the road to Jerusalem goes through Karbala, which Karbala is the holy site in, in, in Iraq, the same location where Iraqis just burnt down the Iranian consulate because they understand what Iran's doing. They understand Iran's goal. He continues, it also supposedly maintains the ideological mission of Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini the leader of the Islamic Revolution who sought to export it to Muslim countries. In Lebanon, Iran relies on the power of the organization it established there, but it is also dependent on the good services of Syria, which has been politically and militarily occupied by Russia to maintain its Lebanese outpost. But Iraq is an ally to which Iran has total and direct access. So he's saying there that it's it, Iran obviously wants to con control Hezbollah, maintain that control over Hezbollah, and uh, but to do that effectively, it needs to control the territory of Iraq and Syria. This is the Shiite crescent that it wants to develop, that it has been very effective at developing, because of its control it now has over Syria. But without without Iraq, there's, you don't have any way to get to Syria or to get to Lebanon. And so Iraq is critical for Iran's status as a regional power. And so they are not willing to let go of Iraq. And so this is really interesting, seeing these two uh, protests. Bible prophecy has lots to say about how not necessarily these protests are going to go, but how these nations are going to fall in relation to, in relation to the, how they fit in Iran's plans. Now, we know, based on a prophecy found in Psalm chapter 83, Psalm chapter 83, that Iran is not going to be allied with the state of Lebanon in the end. 
We don't know how it's going to happen. The Bible doesn't say how it's going to happen. But Iran is going to lose out inside Syria. That psalm talks about an alliance of nations that are mainly Sunni states. Uh, well, all of them are Sunni states, plus Asher, which we prove is, is biblical, or is the modern-day Germany. You're going to have an alliance between Europe and Sunni states, a Sunni-European axis, which historically has existed. Well, the Bible says that Lebanon is actually going to be, form part of this of this group of, of Middle East and Arab states. Turkey's going to be included in it. Syria is actually going to be included in it as well. We also know the Saudis are going to be part of it. The Emiratis will be part of it. And they're all, and Jordan will be part of it. All these nations aren't in favor of Iran, apart from Lebanon and Syria right now. And so we expect fully a change in Syria and also a change in Lebanon. And it makes sense, given how precarious Hezbollah's situation is inside Lebanon, that... Um, these protests are going to be successful at casting off Iranian power in the nation. I know that sounds crazy considering all the armaments that Hezbollah has, but in Lebanon, it's probably going to get a lot worse before it gets a lot better in terms of how Iran is going to eventually have to try and fight their way out of these protests. The people seem very determined inside Lebanon, which is why Hezbollah probably isn't fighting right now. They hope somehow that this blows over because they see that if they start pulling the trigger on some of these protesters, the protesters are going to rise up and you will have just an enormous amount amount of support for those protesters to fight against, uh, uh, fight against, Hezbollah, that protest, that help would probably come from the United States, who's already funding the the Lebanese military to a great extent, and I wouldn't be surprised also if Europe finally jumps in and supports the Lebanese public. The French have been itching to do so for some time, and then given that the Saudis, well, Saudis would like to sit out of it, but they might even support it as well. But in Iraq, Iraq, this territory of of, of Iraq, isn't mentioned in the Psalm eighty three alliance. That's because Iraq is going to stay with Iran. Iran forms the king of the south, mentioned in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40. And it forms that with Iraq by its side because it needs Iraq's power. It needs Iraq for trade right now. It needs Iraq for the population. The support, that trade really does help it evade American sanctions because Iran, Iraq isn't being sanctioned by the United States. Because according to the United States, Iraq is somewhat of an ally still. Well, not really. They haven't woken up, it seems, to see that Iraq has really fallen, at least the government has, to Iran. And so what can we expect going forward? We can expect Iraq to stay with Iran, for Iran to fight tooth and nail, to maintain its holdings inside Iraq and ensure that Iraq can form part of the King of the South Alliance. But in Lebanon, we can expect some dark days ahead. Um, whether it happens tomorrow, I don't know. But we can expect Lebanon to actually finally cast off Iranian influence. But it's not going to come without a fight. Now, if you want to know more about these prophecies, and they are stunning prophecies in the Bible, especially in light of these current protests, uh, you really need to request our editor-in-chief's book, The King of the South, 
it's been written and updated. It was written early in the early 90s, but it is still very up-to-date. Why is it up-to-date? Because it's based on the Bible, and that's a document 2,500 years old. And so those prophecies are based on the ancient texts of Daniel and Psalms, and they're the sure word of prophecy. And that's how we can make these forecasts. And the geopolitical realities of Lebanon, the ethnic mix of Lebanon, and the geopolitical realities of Iraq and the ethnic mix of Iraq, they make sense. They fall right in line with biblical prophecy as well. Thank you very much for listening today. Appreciate your time. Again, please request that booklet. You can go to watchjerusalemco.co.il, hit the literature tab and scroll down to the King of the South. We'll send it to you wherever you are in the world for free, a hard copy, or you can get a PDF or you can read a PDF there online as well. Please send some feedback if you'd like to do so by writing your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.